This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, our Sports Edge friend and colleague, Doug Abrams, wrote a most powerful and really quite distinctive column this past week that was posted on AskCoachWolf.com, and I urge you all to take a moment to read it. In short, Doug discussed the plight of the kid who doesn't start on the team, the youngster who was hoping to get into the game, but asked to sit and wait and wait for his or her time to get in. The young athlete who unfortunately is labeled or viewed as a bench warmer. Now, in this day and age, when we're all so caught up and focused on, the, on those young stars who are on the rise, I think Doug's point of view is right on point. In other words, we, we often overlook the hard reality that there are lots of youngsters who are eager to get into the games, but who end up on the bench, hoping and praying that the coach will keep them in mind and at some point during the course of the contest will put them in to compete. And, of course, from the parents' perspective in the stands, they too are, of course, hoping and praying that their son or daughter will get some significant playing time. Now, on this morning's show, I want to talk about the role and expectations of kids on the bench and how it affects them, you, and the coach. Look, we've all been there at one point or another, and especially if you're a coach, this is a subject you just can't shove off to the side. And, of course, we'll take your calls at 1-877-337-6666. That is brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. Now, look, let's face it. Being a bench warmer, especially at a young age, well, it can potentially have all sorts of long-range impact on a youngster and, of course, on the youngster's family as well. Some kids, once they realize they're going to be on the bench, they just sort of face the hard reality and, and basically say, okay, I, I guess I'm not going to be a top player, so I'll just move on with my life. But others get angry or upset. These kids on the bench say to themselves, this is wrong and not fair. I think I'm better than some of the kids who are starting ahead of me. And at that point, these kids often complain to their moms and dads, and that's, of course, when issues can begin to crop up with the coaches. And along those lines, there are youngsters who quietly worry about their parents and, their, and the parents' reaction. In other words, kids on the bench says, you know, my dad is going to be disappointed if I'm not one of the starters on this ball club. Speaking of which, as we know, the moms and dads definitely do worry and wonder about why my kid is not getting more playing time. Their reaction to all this plays a vital role in the kid and how they approach this. Let's be honest, playing time continues to be the number one complaint from all sports parents. Now, 
for coaches in particular, you may think that you're sensitive to this issue, and you may think you're doing the right thing, but are you? How do you know? You just have a preseason talk with the parents and the kids and tell them that you're going to try to be fair when it comes to playing time? Is that enough? Or do you actually work hard to get all the kids on your team, not just a token appearance in the game, but real and substantial playing time? You know, I, I recall when I was coaching youth soccer some years ago, uh, and I'm talking again at the, at the elementary school level, the games were often divided into to quarters, and I kept a detailed scorecard for each quarter and made sure that not only did each kid on the team play at least half of the game, half of the game, but I also made sure that kids rotated the various positions. So sometimes the kid was playing up front as a forward, other times they're playing back as a fullback. Was this process of keeping track of this time-consuming? You bet. But I came away knowing two things, that in the end, my one loss record in coaching youth soccer wasn't really a top priority, and two, that the moms and dads and grandparents who came out to watch the games were there for one singular purpose, to watch their child play and to watch their child play a lot. They did not come out to see them stand on the sidelines or sit on the bench. And you know what? A couple of things happened. My youth soccer teams actually won more often than they lost. Why? Because I think that since all the kids in the team knew they were going to play and play a lot, they brought an extra sense of energy once they got into the games. And two, the kids and their parents and grandparents came away from the games with a real sense of joy. And to me, that counts for a lot. Okay, let's get your thoughts at one 337 6666 talking about bench warmers. Let's start our conversation this morning with Randy up in Carmel, New York. Randy, good morning. You're on the fan. Hi, good morning. How are you, Rick? Good, Randy. How are you doing? Good. Um, the reason why I'm calling it is my son played. He he was on Carmel High School football team. Yep. And he and he was a bench warmer. He never got to play. He was like a practice dummy. He went to two a day practices, and uh, I went to every practice. He had one of the strongest arms on the team. He never got on one play, one down, one game. And me and my mother one time. My mother had a pacemaker inserted into her, and she went to one game. It was a pouring downpour against Arlington High School. And we, she was there. She even asked the coach for a playbook for him. He never got a playbook for, like, the coach wouldn't give him a playbook. And I, I don't think it's right when a kid is, like, a practice dummy, never gets in a game. He had other kids that was on the team, just not just like my son, but there's other kids never got it one play and one down. You I, know? Randy, I, I, you know, again, again, that's at the high school level, the varsity level, correct? Right, yeah. It was, it was Carmel High School. Uh, coach K was a coach. And uh, he, my son and I ever got a one play, one down. He had one of the strongest arms. My son's six foot five. He had like one of the strongest arms on the team. All and the wide receivers know that he had a really strong arm. And like one time they were getting killed in a game. Instead of like they're losing like almost like thirty five forty to nothing. And yep. then instead of putting my son in maybe for a spark, they didn't even do that. You know what I'm saying? Well, Randy, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I'm sure. There's all sorts of factors uh, I'm not aware of, but I will say this. Again, if you're a coach, either at a youth level, middle school level, travel team level, high school, varsity level, man, oh, man, as you just pointed out, the kids who are the starters, they're paying their dues and practices, but so are the kids who never get any real quality playing time. Those are the kids who are going to practice, obviously, uh, along and, and working just as hard as the kids who are the starters. For a coach not to at least acknowledge that and make sure that all the kids on that team, the roster, you know, get some playing time, particularly when the score is lopsided, 
I don't understand that, and I've never understood that. And quite frankly, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's, oh, well, there are the reasons, Rick, you don't understand. Maybe so, but superficially at least, I don't, I don't think that makes any sense. And uh, I don't understand why coaches cling to that kind of old-school mentality. It just doesn't work. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the son and what he went through, but said, unfortunately, this seems to be a problem that's been uh, perpetual for a long, long time, and coaches – you know, I just don't understand why they don't they don't pay more attention to all the kids on the team, particularly at the high school level. Simple as that. Randy, well, Rick, I just I just I just want to say something to you too, Rick. Yeah. I call I call I coach fifth and sixth grade level. I coach the Kent Knights up here in town of Kent, New York. Yeah. Okay. And me and my brother were with the coaches there, and we had undefeated season. We every kid got the every kid played. You know, we we everybody played in our on our team. We didn't have like people just like practice dummies. You know, and so every everybody played, and I think that's the way it should be because you know my son went to two a day practices and never got in a game, and then I said to my son, "Are you going to play? Are you going to go out for football?" So my son said, "Why am I going to go out for football next year for my senior year? Or am I going to be a dummy every day and not even get in a game?" I, I, it's I, it's you know, it, Randy, it's it's not right. It's it's just not right, and I I, I feel for you, and and uh, I I thank you for for calling this morning and sharing that story. It's heartbreaking. Th- thank you, Randy. Thank you, Rick. You bet. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Yes, of course, obviously, at the youth level, we know that we want everybody, every kid comes to the games when they're in, you know, third grade, fifth grade, whatever, seventh grade. They know they're going to play. Everybody gets a chance to play and play a lot. I don't understand. I, I do understand, obviously, as the priority shifts up the ladder into the high school varsity level, that the better players are there to win and the better players play. But that doesn't mean as a coach you can't be aware and sensitive to the other kids who are do, paying their dues uh, and not getting the, the adulation as the starters or not making the all-league team or not being named captain, but they certainly have every expectation and right to at least get in some of the games to feel like they're contributing. Just to have them stand on the sidelines and never get in, that, that's just not right. That's not right. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to our friend Ed over in Elizabeth. Hey, Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. How you doing? Good, Ed. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a situation that, that happened on a college level, okay? Mm-hmm. Ramapo College, one of the elite Division three programs in the country. Right. Uh, they were seventh in the uh, nation last year. Returned almost everyone. They had three kids transfer in, two Division two kids transfer in, and uh, a Division three kid. The head coach, Chuck McBreen, who does an outstanding job, okay, told these kids, look, you're not going to be starting. You're going to be coming off the bench. They've all accepted their roles. And are you know having good season, and especially now I bring that up because you got two Division two kids who were starters in their programs, but they felt that that they they wanted to be closer to home or whatever their reason was, and now they become and now their, their roles have changed and they've accepted it. And you're talking about at a, at a on a, on a college level, how many kids are going to transfer to a school? And want to come off the bench. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I, you know, uh, and obviously, uh, you just people know we're talking about baseball here because uh, that's that's. No, this, this is this is their basketball program. Oh, basketball! Oh, I'm sorry, I thought yeah. you were talking about baseball. That's okay. Okay. That's okay, Rick. But I'm saying, you know, but, whether it's baseball, basketball, or any sport, at least you know at the collegiate level, Ed, you're, the kids by that point, they have their eyes open a little bit more than the kids at the high school level. These are kids, obviously, that understand that the priorities now are even more focused on winning and winning at all costs. And obviously playing time becomes a key issue. But to your point, you know, the kids come in, the coach says, look, you know, this is how it's going to go. If you want to accept those conditions, then you can come on board. But that's, that's how it's going to be. 
Well, yeah, I agree with that. And, and these three three players are also contributors to the program this year, too. They play coming off the bench. But when I was a high school coach, I always felt the freshmen in, on a, and on a JV levels. I told my coaches, play everyone. Your record's not going to matter. I always had a thing at the halfway point. If my team, if your team's improved, you did your job. But again, when you get to the varsity level, it changes a little bit because now, now it's more about winning. Yeah. If you have, if you have players that are good enough, where you, you know, like, especially basketball, you may have, may be able to go ten deep. Then you play ten players. But sometimes, again, it depends on the type of personnel you have on the varsity level. That's going to determine yeah. playing time for people to play. And you know, again, at that level. Most teams, or not most teams, I think all teams are playing to win at that level. I, you know, I agree with you, and obviously I understand that obviously at the varsity level and obviously priorities do shift. However, even though the winning becomes much more important at the varsity level, I'm, Ed, I'm sure you agree with this, and you're going to have kids on the bench who perhaps are, are not as good as the starters. Coach, if you keep that kid in the team, by you accepting that kid to be in your team and saying you've made the roster, you have, an, a sort of, to my way of thinking, an inherent obligation to make sure that kid gets some sort of playing time or you communicate with the kid on a constant basis to make sure he's motivated, give him a pat on the back in practice, let him know that his time or her time is going to come to play. You've got to do that. Just to, just, just, just to ignore them or figure like I have no obligation to play them, that's, that's not the right way to do this. That's not coaching. That's just being a dictator. Oh, I agree with you. But, you know, sometimes, too, let, let's say you've got kids that might be the final roster spots. You know what I used to do was when I was when I coached varsity uh, sports in high school, I would sit down and talk. Said, "Look, here's the deal. Here's the situation. You know, you know. Again, I would say your playing time might be minimal. If, we, if it's a certain situation, we can get you in. We'll, we'll try to get you in. Um, if you want to be a part of it, we want you to be a part of it. You know, because your your role could could be valuable at some point down the year. Not a guarantee." And then, then now you put it on, on the player's hands to see how he feels about being, being part of the program. But, again, you brought up the word communication, and that's always important in coaching. Oh, absolutely. Hey, Ed, thanks as always for the call. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. And, uh, you know, we're talking this morning about bench warmers and at the youth level, middle school level, travel team, varsity level, what your responsibility as the coach is to those kids, if you feel any responsibility, You've already heard from some callers this morning saying, well, this is tricky because uh, one caller early on said, my kid never got into a game in playing the varsity football program, even though he paid his dues and was in every practice. That's what we always don't want to hear, stuff like that. All right, let me, let me take a timeout. Uh, when we come back, I'll go right back to your calls about your feelings as a, as a former player yourself or as a coach or as a parent. This is a real issue, and we know it's a real issue when it comes to amateur sports. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Dave Uram has your sports update. When I come back, I go right back to the calls. Stay with me. And welcome back to the Sports Edge. We're talking this morning about sitting on the bench and how being a bench warmer affects uh, the the psyche not only of our children but also that of us, the parents, and of course the coach. Whether the coach has any obligation, and we've already established the fact that obviously when the kid is just starting out in sport, that at the youth levels. It's understood and expected that all the kids are going to get at least a chance to play at least half of the game, uh, regardless of what sport it may be. And I know coaches, if, you have, if your kid's playing for a coach who starts saying, no, 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 it's really important that the best players play at the third grade level and other kids just sit in the bench and, and basically applaud, you got the wrong guy uh, working as a coach. 
Uh, you know, winning and losing is not that big a deal at the elementary school level. It's more about kids enjoying themselves, developing their passion, and and basically learning how to master uh, the, the skills that will take them to the next level. Uh, and don't just hide behind the fact, oh, this is a travel team. No, the travel team, same nonsense. It, it's all about playing and playing a lot. does change, obviously, as you go up the ladder to the high school level and the varsity level. Of course, there, winning does become more of a priority. But let me just say this, and I'll get to the calls in a second. My attitude has always been that if a kid makes a team at the varsity level, and obviously there's tryouts and, and, and there's coaches and assistant coaches, if a kid is good enough to make your high school roster, uh, yeah, you can talk to the coach early in the year and say, look, uh, the, the coach says, look, I don't think you're going to play very much, but you're more than happy to be in the team, and uh, that's it. No, that doesn't basically give you an out as a coach. My philosophy has, has always been if the kid is good enough to make the varsity, then that is an obligation of you as the coach to make sure that kid gets some playing time. I'm not saying you've got to rotate him, him or her through all the games all the time, but the fact is you make sure that kid gets some playing time so he or she knows they're contributing, uh, even in some small part, to the team's success. And I think that's, that's that, to me, that's a part, that's sort of baked in to what it means to be a coach especially at the varsity level and, of course, at the travel team level as well. Okay, one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go over to a Jackson, New Jersey. Irwin is standing by. Irwin, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. I have a little bit of a different take uh, on benchwarming and how it could be a uh, positive aspect with child. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my son was in the Little League, I mean, I knew before the Little League that he wasn't a very good athlete. But I asked him if he wanted to play with Lee, and he did, and he sat on the bench. Uh, the next season, I asked him again, does he want to continue to play in the Little League? And he said yes. And this went on for about three or four years, and never really played much, but he always wanted to play. And it turned out that I said, why is he wanting to uh, play in the Little League? And he said, well, I made a friend, and we talked about cartoons. Uh, well, today, my son and his friend are now cartoon writers for television, and it just goes to show that sometimes we don't have to always be playing. It's part of a social thing, and it could just be good for a child's self-esteem. Oh, there's no question, Erwin. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, so the first thing I said this morning is some kids get to uh, the youth level of sports, and, and they realize that, well, you know what, I don't really measure up athletically, but that's okay because I, I understand that, and I can just move on with my life and find other interests. So I would classify what your son went through in Little League he enjoyed being there. He obviously made some friends and obviously led to a, a career uh, where he's been very successful. So, yeah, there's no question about that. But, uh, as you also mentioned, at least he had a chance to play because the only way a kid's going to get a sense of whether or not he or she is any good at that sport is Correct. by having a chance to compete. And it turns out I don't, I don't like this sport. I don't like, I'm not very good at it. Either the kid's going to accept that or the kid's going to look for another sport that they can compete in. But, again, uh, it, the, the bottom line is he had a chance to play, and that, that is crucial. That's critically important. And I guess he was, he was lucky enough to be able to find somebody who he had a, a kinship with, and whether playing or not mattered didn't matter to him. That's right, and that happens for you know, a certain percentage of all the kids. That, that's part of the whole process of maturation. Right. Thank, oh, also, I want to thank you, Rick, for reading my play a number of months ago. I appreciate it. Thank oh, you. You bet. Hey, thanks, Erwin. Thank you for the call. Take care. Okay. Right All right, thank you. Right on. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Nico and Demarest. Nico, good morning. You're on the fan. 
Hey, Rick, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. Um, I, uh, I'm 22 years old, and I coach 15th uh, and 6th grade boys lacrosse, and I've been doing that since I was 15 years old. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I give the players who come to, to come to practice, which I think is really important, equal play. You know, there were kids that were coming to the, to the games only mm-hmm. and were expecting to play, you know, the full game, which I, as, as a player when I was younger, you know, I played baseball, I played football, I played basketball, I played all, I played all kinds of sports, and clearly lacrosse was my, my best sport, and I went to Division two and I played there, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I always went to practice, and whether I, whether I played more or less, I felt that uh, I was at practice and I put in my time, so I should get my play time. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a coach, I hear from from parents a lot that, uh, you know, oh well, my kid doesn't get to play. But at the same time, you know, whether he's the best player on the team or not, such a good player, if he doesn't come to practice, I don't necessarily feel the need to play him as much as somebody who does come to practice. Well, That's just Nico. Let me let me just make this clear. And again, you mentioned you t- you're talking about fifth and sixth grade lacrosse players. Uh, there is certainly an expectation, even at the fifth and sixth grade level, you can certainly say to the kids uh, who are going to pay attention uh, and to their parents, Here, here's a very simple rule we have to have. Uh, if you come to practice and come to practice on a regular basis and are on time, you will get the lion's share of playing time because it's not fair to the kids who do go to practice sessions and then all of a sudden show up on the game on the weekend and expect to play a lot. That's not fair. Sure. And it's, it's sort of comparable to saying to a kid, well, you know, if, if you don't go to um, a math class uh, during the week, well, you're not going to do very well in the math test on the weekend. So you're going to have to go to, do, go to school to learn how to do math in order to compete well on, on the weekend. Now, if you don't do it, you're not going to play well. And it's the same thing with sports. You have to pay your dues, and this is all part of the process by the time they're fifth and sixth grade. The kids who are into this, uh, they're going to make sure that mom and dad gets them to practice on time uh, and to be Absolutely. there. And then that, that works from there. And if a parent says, well, you don't understand, my, my kid during the week has other obligations and this and that and so on and so forth. Well, that's fine. But you understand also, you know, to the mom or dad, said, I, I have other obligations to the kids who do make it to practice and they expect to play. You're not going to shut out all the kids who don't come to practice. They still have a chance to play in the games on the weekend. They're just not going to play as much as if the as the kids who do who do come to practice. I think I think that's only fair, and and I think to me that works out well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Okay, hey, Nico, thank you for the call. Thank you very much, Rick. Have a good one. You too. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's go up to uh, to Yorktown. Joe, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. Good morning. How are you? Good, Joe. Hey, a couple things. One is uh, actually you had Bob Bigelow on last week. And I recall one of the things he said in his book, which was profound to me, was that no kid ever joins a sport to watch some other kid play. That's correct. They're all they're all there to play. It is it is inherently responsible on coaches to figure out ways to get kids into games. And my attitude is, especially when it comes to travel teams, if you're not going to play a kid, don't take them. <laughs> don't do that to that kid. You know, how many times do they take kids on teams for, for head counts or whatever? And, and I'll give you an example. I'm not that involved with football, but I'm aware that football has a play count. You think about that for a second. You have kids practicing eight to ten hours a week to go get four snaps in a 48-minute football game. And 
very disparate. But anyway, but they'll take kids on teams, and I've heard coaches admit this, that they'll take kids on teams so that they minimize the amount of snaps the weaker kids have to get. Um, my last thing is that, that a lot of coaches today coach youth sports to the level, their last level of participation. So if you get somebody who was a high school athlete, they coach third and fourth graders as if they were in high school. They don't understand that it's a different mentality, it's a different mindset. And some of that's through educating of coaches. I belong to U.S. Lacrosse, and they're taking a very active approach and trying to help coaches understand that, that it's an it's it's athletic development model that they're putting in. Joey there? Yep, I'm okay. sorry, I lost it. I'm driving. Okay. But, so, so there are some organizations that are trying to take steps to correct that. But at the end of the day, the onus is on the coaches to figure out well, ways to get you may, Joe, you make some excellent points here. Let me just uh, go through uh, a recap very quickly. You know, Bob Bigelow, and he and I have been doing this for a long time, and, and we have discussed this, as as my other colleagues in this field, uh, people like Doug Abrams, who I, I, I cited earlier in the show, and Steve Callis, mm-hmm. and other people who, who are, take this very seriously. The reality is, particularly at the travel team level, if a kid is good enough to make your travel team, then you have a, a moral or even a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that kid, if, if he or she's on the travel team, he or she's going to get a good amount of playing time. You just can't say, well, no, you understand you're on the travel team, which is quite an accomplishment, but we're going to play the best kids on the travel team most of the time. You might get in for you know, a few plays at the end or, or during you know, uh, when the game, the score is lopsided. That's not right. If you're good to make a travel team, you should be playing at least half of that game. Number two, as you mentioned before about some of the coaches, you know, sort of you know, coach at, at, at the highest level they reached, well, then that is a problem. That's why organizations like uh, U.S. Lacrosse and, and the rest of them have all stepped in, USA Hockey, and said, no, 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 you got to coach according to the age level of the kid and the kid's expectations. I mean, yes, it's absolutely true uh, that, that any time a, a, a you know, youngster goes out to play in a game, they're going there with the excitement built in that they're going to play and have a good game and play a lot and not just be relegated to the bench to sit there and applaud other kids who are out there having fun. Trust me, it's, it's all about playing and enjoying yourself and getting lots of playing time. That's what kids want as they get older and they get to the high school level. And, Joe, thank you for the call. You know, as they get older, kids are going to see for themselves just where they stack up against their competition but that doesn't happen until they're probably maybe 16, 17 years old. It doesn't happen when they're 8, 10, or 12. At that age, they're still hoping and dreaming and thinking maybe I'm going to be that gifted athlete. But it all stops, it comes to a grinding halt if the kid, the game starts and the kid never gets into the game. And that's just not the way it should be coached. It's simple as that. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go over to, um, to Tom in uh, Brick, New Jersey. Tom, good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, uh- I tell you, you know, I think youth sports is a reflection of what's going on in our country. We have the so-called 1% of the wealthy. Yeah. Now, so we're going to have the 1% of the gifted athletes. That's it. It's, it's, it's clear and cut now what they're doing. The NFL has a game before the Super Bowl for flag football, where they're going to have flag football kids playing and the ABA is start. The NBA is starting a youth program. Right, literally, it's going to have home run hitting contests before the All Star game. Tom, it's it's, it's, it's fans. It, I couldn't agree with you more because our society 
is 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 all based now they're so focused on the kids who are the rising stars we don't seem to pay much attention to the kids who are on the bubble or still developing or are late bloomers we're too eager to focus on the kids who are going to be stars when they're 12 or 13 just like we see uh, the kids in little league baseball and espn when they're you know 12 years old or you never going to have have the junior nba when the kids are 13 and 14 and it just it's all part of the american scene right now so yes you are correct absolutely correct this is part of the uh, reflection of american society and how we're just so eager to find and spot and and pinpoint the next kid and the next star but it's not fair to all the other kids who are still developing and that's just that's just unfortunate and that's why we're talking about this very topic today hey tom thank and that, you. that to- kid that doesn't get an opportunity to get in the game he used to be the fan. You think he's going to uh, go on with the rest of his life? Oh, I'm a, I am I like baseball. Yeah, you couldn't, who cares about baseball? Well, this is why Tom, I, I think that's one of the reasons why, the, and I think this is sort of misguided, that, as you said, there's such a focus now on the rising stars that the kids who, who get you know shoved off to the side or don't have a chance to participate or are relegated to the bench, they're going to, as you said, they're not going to be interested in, in supporting that sport down the road because the sport didn't treat them well. And that's, that is something that I think a lot of the, the, the top professional leagues sometimes overlook. For example, I was just watching last uh, TV last night and how uh, e-gaming uh, is becoming a rising sport with kids who are teenagers. These are kids, they, they, you know, they realize they're not going to be traditional athletes, but they found their way with playing video games. And that's... You know, more and more colleges are giving scholarships for, for playing video games. I mean, really? Is this is that where we're going? I mean, it's just, it's just really bizarre. So it is strange. Hey, Tom, thank you for the call. Let me run. Take care. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the reality. As Tom makes a good point that we're so, we're so laser-focused on the best players, we're leaving the rest of the kids behind in the dust, and they're trying to find other ways to uh, find competitive ways to to chase like like video games and that's that's a whole under another kettle of fish to be sure all right let me, let me take a pause when i return from the update we'll go right back to your calls and of course uh, at nine o'clock this morning football sunday obviously mark melissa's dave deal talking about the afc and nfc championships uh obviously you want to make sure you get the latest on what's happening with that and with tom brady's uh, alleged hand injury as always i invite you to check out uh, my website at ask coachwolf.com. And uh, oh, a couple of quick notes. Uh, first of all, regarding my, my new book on sports psychology, you know, I've been doing some, some media interviews the last week or so, and, and a reporter from Toronto asked me the other day about visualization and does visualization actually work? And well, let me, let me say this. While there is no, and this is important, while there's no definitive or hardcore scientific proof that visualization does, in fact, work. Preparing mentally for a game is just as, as important as preparing for it physically. Yet we really don't train or teach uh, our kids how to do that. And mentally rehearsing, which is the basis of visualization, of how you want to perform in your next game is, well, that's unbelievably important, or at least it certainly is to me, and it's why visualization has been around for such a long time. By the way, you can order a copy of, of Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed, uh, you know, for yourself or for your kids or for the kids in your team, you just go to Amazon or BarnesNoble.com or any bookstore. And speaking of new books, 
Uh, Bob Bigelow, who was on last week, reminds me that he has a new ebook out, and it's called Youth Sports Still Failing Our Kids. Uh, the ebook is less than three dollars. It can be found on any number of platforms: Amazon, Barnes and Noble.com. You can uh, read it as a Kindle, on a tablet, all sorts of mobile devices. And in his book, Bob concentrates on remedies that help take the adult ego out of youth sports, uh, especially up until age 12. And again, it's called Youth Sports Still Failing Our Kids by Bob Bigelow. Right now, we're talking about bench warmers and what that does to our children, uh, the obligation to coaches, how parents can deal with this. And we're taking your calls at 1 337 6666. Let's continue. Let's go out to Dave out in Smithtown, Long Island. Dave, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good, Dave. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I find this conversation very interesting from the standpoint of the numbers of kids that coaches take onto their team. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a double-edged sword. Sometimes if you, you have a coach who is um, loyal to players who go through their program who might not be good enough to play on the varsity level, but take them on the varsity level anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's incumbent upon those coaches to explain to the players, look, I'll get you in when I can, but you've been really loyal to the program, and I want you to be part of us. But if you feel that while you played a lot, let's say, on the JV, but may not be quite talented enough to play on the varsity, if that's going to be a problem for you, perhaps you should reconsider coming out to play. So if you end up with 16 kids or 17 kids on a varsity, let's say, basketball team, and the numbers 12 through 16 or 12 through 17 hardly see any playing time, that's the role that, you know, that has, should have been explained to them. Um, and you're always going to get parents who think that their kids should be playing as much as everybody else. It just doesn't work that way. Um, I'm a varsity softball coach. And I've been for many years. And, and what I try to do with my kids is tell them, this is the role I see you playing right now. If you improve and get better and better, you'll get more and more playing time. Softball's a little different than the other sports because we're not done, we don't go by time. Yes. You know, so when you get a basketball game and it's 32 minutes long, <clears throat> to get everybody in might be a problem unless your team's getting blown out. But Dave, um, let, me, let me ask you this, because obviously you, yeah. you've, you've thought about this and you're sensitive to this issue. And I know what you're saying, that you know, a coach might say, well, I'm loyal to the kids who have paid their dues, and now even though I know deep in my heart they're not going to get much playing time as a senior on, let's say, the basketball team, and so the, the coach still keeps 16 kids in the team, would it be more humane to say to that kid, I'm sorry, but I'd rather not have you just languish on the bench and spend a lot of time in practice uh, as a senior. I'm only going to keep you know, 10 kids on the team and I'm going to cut you just because, not because you're not a quality human being, it's just because I don't want to have you go through the anguish of hoping and praying that maybe today will be the day I get, I get 30 seconds in the game. Is it more, make more, more sense for a coach to say that to a kid and say, I'm just going to let you get, get cut now rather than have you go through the process of never getting into a game? I think that they could be doing that when they were a junior. Um, but, you know, depending upon... The situation, you, I, would, I would hope that a coach would be able to sit down with a senior and say that. Listen, I don't know how much you're going to play. You're a senior. And I've done this. I've done this in the past. And quite truthfully, I said, listen, if, if you, you're a senior and you're not playing, I don't want to walk past you on the bench. Well, and... that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying, Dave. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard on the coach, too, because the, the coach is oh. walking back and saying, you know, this kid 
has in the, the the way the kid sees it as you're a bench warmer when as you know this when the game begins the coach is focused on the X's and O's and strategy to win the game the kids who are starting or kids who know they're going to get a lot of playing time they're focused on saying I got to perform well I got to execute what the coach wants to do in terms of the game plan the kids who go to the bench they're not focused on any of that they're thinking I wonder at what point the coach might put me into the game today. And that's all. The, that's all. The, and the kids' parents are thinking the same thing in the stands. Yeah, or they're cursing under their breath at you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm saying, and I know this sounds unbelievably, uh, as I said, inhumane, but do you say to a kid, look, I, because, I, I, you know, when a, kid, when a coach says to a kid, uh, I can't promise you a lot of playing time, I will get you in when I can, kid doesn't hear that. The kid hears that if I work my tail off in practice, that's going to guarantee me some playing time. And that's, yeah. not, that's not what the coach is saying. And I can't, you know, the co- kids don't hear it that way. The kids hear it like, you know, uh, the coach is saying, you're not going to play. The kids, kids saying, oh, no, I'll prove you wrong. You will have to play me. Oh. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I, you know, for coaches, particularly at the competitive levels, uh, that's something where you have to really deep down and think, you know, this is not going to work well. I'd rather just keep fewer kids in the team who are all going to play and play a lot and try to mislead a kid because, you know, it just, it just as you say, it's going to turn to a, a negative kind of uh, situation. Well, I, you know, um, I agree 100% with that. You know, and I've had kids in the past who have been juniors who didn't get a lot of playing time and, you know, will not come back as seniors maybe because they have to work and what have you. And I understand that. Yes. And it, it's, it's actually more comfortable for me as a coach, to not have to worry about this kid's feelings as a senior. But, you know, if there are seniors who come back and say, listen, um, this is what might happen. I want you to be aware of it. And if it's not going to be something you want to deal with, then maybe you should rethink coming out to play. Yeah. And, you know, I've been lucky in the past, I, you know, and because I've been coaching a lot of years, um, that I haven't really had too many issues in that regard. Uh, this year I have no seniors on my team coming out as far as I'm aware. There's nobody trying out. So I have a, se- I have a team of juniors and sophomores and, a- and some freshmen probably. Um, so I'm lucky about that. But, you know, down the road, yeah. there may- <laughs> things those, are going to change. Those kids who are, you know, sophomores and juniors will become seniors at some point. And then, right. you, you know, look, Dave, the fact that you're sensitive to this issue, and I think most coaches are, the, the real question is, how do you handle the situation? And uh, as we're really sort of focusing in here, this is a problem. And, and you know, maybe the way to do this is to sit down with the kid uh, in preseason and, and let, let the kid talk about what his or her expectations are. And then as a coach, you say, look, I have to be honest with you, that's just not going to happen. I mean, you can work your tail off, uh, but I don't think you're, you're not going to project to be get much playing time. And let and basically say, you know, if you if you say to the kid and be compassionate and say, you can stay in the team if you want, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to play. I still think most kids are going to say, I want to be on the team because I'll prove you wrong and I'll get into the games. And it's which just, is great. Yeah, you but know what? If you prove me wrong, that's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, but but the, you know and I know that human nature being what it is, by the time you get halfway to the season, the kid's going to be grousing that. You know, I've done. I can. I'm, I can play better than the kid ahead of me. And why does it can't the kid? Why can't the coach see that? And that that's when you have uh, problems erupt. It's it's okay. difficult. Simple as that. Absolutely. Hey, Dave. Thanks as always for the call. Appreciate it. Take care, Rick. Thanks, Dave. That's uh, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. This is the issues that coaches have to grapple with. Uh, let's go to down to Trenton. Hey, Neil. Good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Rick. How you doing? Good, Neil. Listen, um, I've. I, you know, I've, I've spoken to you guys before. I've coached 
the varsity lacrosse for 18 years and ran a youth lacrosse program for 10. This has always been an issue. Yep. I think I, I've, I've mentioned to you before that at a minimum, I, I've always had a policy that every player has to step on the field in the first half, no matter what. Yep. At a at a minimum. Um, but for, at the youth level, you know, some strategies, you know, scheduling round robins, scheduling festival type tournaments where there's no ultimate winner, those sorts of things kind of enhance the experience for all the players. And it gives coaches more of an opportunity to rotate players into games throughout the course of the, the day. And, and overall, the kids seem to get a lot more out of that. And the parents seem to, to get a lot more out of that. Um, at the varsity level, um, part of the problem, quite frankly, I observed, uh, because I work evenings, I get to watch a lot of lacrosse practices. I go around to different teams. One of the things that I've noticed on some teams is that the, the starters get mo almost exclusively all the live playing time at practice. And, then, and while, this, while the, the bench warmers stand around and watch and it almost creates like a self-fulfilling prophecy that when the games come around right the coaches think to themselves i can't play these kids because they don't practice enough <laughs> but then it gets back to the fact that they don't practice them yeah. um <laughs> it, you know it, it's it, it's kind of crazy and you know when i did my scheduling my ad was you know gave me a lot of freedom to, to schedule my own schedule put together my own schedules and you know, to me, any good coach is going to put at least three losses on their schedule and at least three clear wins on their schedule. And, you know, it's, up to, it's incumbent upon the coaches to kind of create a, create a schedule that will allow for, for players to well, rotate in and out of the games. Um, it's, there's, just, there's just so much. I guess my point is there's so much planning that has to get done prior to the kids stepping out to the practice and stepping on the field, and I don't think enough coaches... Let me just say this, Neil. I, I think you make a very, very valid point in that uh, because the kids who are presumed to be the starters get the, get the majority of the practice time, and the kids who are going to be in the bench stand off to the side. And what happens is it does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're a kid who's a bench warmer, after a while, that, that constant drumbeat of, of the saying you're not going to be a starter, you begin to believe that, yeah, maybe the coach is right. Maybe I'm not very good. And that eats away at one's self-confidence. And, of course, the coach has the same issue, saying, well, I can't put the kid in because he never really gets much practice, uh, much practice time. That's why it's, exactly. so, it's so essential. Uh, it's so essential. And, Neil, thank you for the call this morning. You know, it's so essential. If you're a coach, you've got to rotate your, 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 your reserves during the course of practice time because you've got to see what they can do, and they have to get a sense of what they can do because, quite frankly, that's what it's all about. And they come away, again, I'm talking about the games, I'm talking about the practice time, so you can see what they can, what they can't do, and they also get a sense of that they can perform if called upon in a game-like situation. I think Neil's perspective is, is really a good idea. I mean, you've got to make sure that you get all your kids uh, quality practice time uh, again so they're prepared for when they do get into a game. All right, let me, let me make a quick timeout. I'll be back. Stay with me. Look, this is the kind of topic we can spend hours talking about. Unfortunately, my time is short this morning. Here, here's the deal uh, from my perspective. First of all, the coaches, this really falls upon you. You have to be super sensitive to playing time issues, particularly at the, at the elementary and middle school age levels. I mean, every kid who comes out who's on your team, uh, presuming they go to your practice sessions, that's important, 
but when they come to a game uh, at that age level, they should be playing at least half of the game. That's your job as a coach. Don't worry so much about winning or losing. Focus more on getting these kids to enjoy themselves, knowing they're going to play and play a lot. Obviously, it changes at the high school, at the varsity level, at the elite travel level. But even there, if you, my attitude has always been, if you bring a kid on to the varsity, uh, that means that kid can expect to play and play somewhat in those games. May not be a starter, but they do expect to play and be a contributor to that team. If you as a coach feel that kid's not going to play, well, you have sort of a, uh, an obligation to talk to that kid and say, you understand, maybe this is not going to be in your best interest, even though I know you love to be in the team, because that's going to probably uh, cause issues down the road. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Brian Rascona. Uh, stick around for Football Sunday. I'll see you next week right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.